Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 651 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Joe and Todd here. Hello, Todd. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Joe. That's good to hear. I'm glad. Um, I have a lot of energy today for some reason. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, were you getting to do some Spectrox, maybe? Oh, yes. All the time I do Spectrox now. I don't I don't like Spectrox. I just love the smell of Spectrox, Joe. I thought you were going to say you could do as much as you want and never get addicted and quit anytime you wanted, but that's another guy. No, and I keep it in my fanny pack, and it doesn't rattle, Joe. Doot, doot, doot. <laughs> Anyway, uh, we actually have some news to discuss uh, from this past week. We get uh, a definitive date on one of uh, many Disney Plus projects on the Marvel side of things. Um, Just as quickly as a book is solicited, it gets delayed on Mm -hmm. DC. And uh, DC Comics Collections, everybody. (sighs) It's getting added to the list. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have a very special interview with a longtime listener, friend of the show, Jason Sandberg. We have conventions this weekend. We have uh, what we read from this past week, which includes Nightwing number 102 and Superman 2. What we're looking forward to coming out this week, uh, the continuation of our Todd and Joe Have Issues reread of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. And, uh, of course, a recap of the latest episode of The Mandalorian. Short recap. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. We'll get to it when we get to it, right? Right. All right. So, um, we, me, Todd and I, uh, keep a list of all of the different uh, comic book-related projects that are coming out. You know, if you listen to... After Dark, a week or two ago, we kind of kicked the tires on whether or not we were going to watch the new Gotham Kids show on CW, right? Mm -hmm. And the uh, executive decision was made not to. But, you know, stuff that takes place in the greater Marvel Cinematic Universe, of course. You know, we got to keep an eye on animated projects. You know, we'll keep an eye on them. I never watch, like, Hit Monkey or All of What If or whatever it is. But, you know, your stuff like Secret Invasion, Loki Season 2, and Agatha, stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. So all of this stuff gets announced, and then they get, like, dates of, like, coming soon or late 2023. And one that had been hanging over my head for the last couple of weeks was when it was originally announced was Secret Invasion, because Secret Invasion was spring of 2023. And I don't know if you knew this, Todd, but last week was the first day of spring. Right. Yeah. And uh, as of last week, we did not have any information on that, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. But as the week rolled on and rolled into this week, we did get a date, and spring 2023 became the definitive hard and fast date of June 21st of this year. Right. Wasn't that the first day of summer, though? That is the first day of summer. So, you know, mm. um, obviously with things being moved around and the schedule being what it was, you know, it'll be very interesting to see how those things, you know, were supposed to shake out and so forth. And it's just now that that movie is on this or that show is on the schedule way later than where um, Captain Marvel 2 was supposed to be. Right. And it was one of those things, is this going to be something that spins out of Captain Marvel 2? Or is it something that leads into Captain Marvel 2? And obviously with the way that the release schedule is, 
it's obviously rolling into Captain Marvel 2, since Captain Marvel 2 is now November. Right. Uh, but yeah, so that's, you know, coming out. You know, we still got like three months on that, but it's nice to have a nice hard and fast date for something like that, you know? Yeah, and that's the one <clears throat> that I've finally taken off, like, my nerd glasses when it comes to, like, movies and shows, that they have to be what I want, like, the book, and I have a feeling this can't be <clears throat> anything like the comic, you know what I mean? So I'm interested to see where it's going. Yeah, and I, well, there was another one, it was Age of Ultron, right? I think Age of Ultron was the first one, I'm like, Age of Ultron? I wonder how this is going to line up with the comic book. And it wasn't at all. It was just they liked that title and they slapped it on the Avengers movie, you know? Right. And we'll see what Secret Wars is. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, um, and I'm kind of past that. You know, listen, we're we're going to be fans of these movies. It's just the way that it is and these shows. And we're going to want to watch them. And, you know, we're still excited for them, you know? Mm-hmm. But the show is, you know? Yeah, except for maybe Kang Dynasty. But anyway. Oh, well, listen, that didn't make the news this week. You know, we try to talk in the positives, not the negatives, you know? Right, right. Uh, but uh, comic book stuff, of course. Um, a book that had been teased for coming out for a little while was going to be Based on the success of his portrayal in last year's The Batman, was that what the movie was called? The one with Robert Pattinson? I think it was called The Batman. The Batman. Uh, With the portrayal of Colin Farrell as the Penguin in there, there was going to be a Penguin series comic book that was going to be written by Tom King. And it was just one of those things that it was like, oh, it's going to be coming out any day now, right? Mm -hmm. So it was in the June solicitations that came out this past week. And just as soon as the June solicitations had come out and were printed, DC said, nah, the book's not coming out until August now. Right. So again, it was just interesting to see um, th- with the previews being a little bit late, the diamond catalog or, you know, whatever the lunar version of these things is called um, that, that, the Penguin book ends up getting into print, and literally the same day that those catalogs are available, they delayed another two months. Right. Something went wrong somewhere. Something went wrong somewhere, and I know they're doing the Penguin TV show, spinning out of the movie uh, with Colin Farrell in the lead. Mm -hmm. And this was getting a big push. It was going to have two issues for the first month um, to kind of launch it, you know, like Chip Zdarsky writing the one issue, Tom King writing the other issue to kind of bridge it to what we saw with the penguin, um, early on in Chip Zdarsky's run on Batman. Um, but yeah, it's got to get pushed back another two months, but it's on the list. It just, you know, got moved from one column to the other. I'm with you. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't put it on my list yet, but we'll mm-hmm. see yeah, when we well, get there, it'll definitely be there. When we get announcements, you know, we've talked about yeah. this before. I got books that were announced 10 years ago that never came out that I'm still hoping that one day they do come out, you know? Still moving them up on the spreadsheet, right? That's right. You're insane, Spock. Well, listen, that's what, it's what keeps me busy, what keeps, what keeps me off the street, you know? Uh, last but not least, um, something that initially missed my purview. And, you know, it's, it's tough to keep track of all, all the follow-ups with DC's collected editions, right? But they recently put out um, Volume 7 of something called Batman the Dark Knight Detective, which is just kind of chronologically reprinting Batman stories from, you know, the they started in the late 70s and rolled into the 80s. I think they're like around like 
what would have been books coming out in like 89, let's say, right? So again, it's tough, to, you know, so they're, they're recollecting all the Batman stuff, and it's good to have a lot of that Batman stuff collected, you know. Um, and one of the more recent collections, uh, specifically in the collection from an issue of, again, what would it have been an issue of? Um, well, anyway, whatever it was, oh, it was from um, Detective Comics Annual 4, that was part of the collection, right? Um, you know, it was like Batman 474, random issue of Batman Legend of the Dark Knight, four issues of Detective Comics, another issue of Detective Comics, another issue of Detective Comics, and an annual, right? So mm-hmm. when they reprint the annual, they reprinted the same page twice, but not in a row. Like, if you were reading it, like, page 151 was the same page, and then 153 was the same page as 151, Right. Right. So, again, another printing error from DC. Are they going to recall them? Are they going to make it good? What are they going to do? Well, just <laughs> this week, uh, Lunar sent out a email to uh, distributors and so forth saying you're receiving this um, because you ordered copies of Volume 7 um, and the collection printed the same page twice and omitted the correct page from the collection entirely. This book will not be reprinted, but the affected story in Detective Comics Annual Number 4 will be reprinted in its entirety in Volume 8. We will send you a PDF file containing the missing page. Yeah. Which I guess I could print out and put in my collection? I'm not sure. Just stuff it in there, Joe. <laughs> I guess. Um, this is a new level of uh, foul opery by DC, huh? <laughs> you scared me there for a second. Uh-huh. But yeah, I was reading this and I was like, as you say, we're the positive show. And, and on this story, we're going to accentuate the positives, I guess. Um, but yeah, I'm like, this is bad. Like, but to be fair, to be fair, like they're doing something when it came to my omnibus of Justice League that they fouled up. I never got anything. They didn't like reprint page. They did nothing. You know what I mean? And you don't even know if you have an affected copy or were all the copies affected. All the first print copies were affected. So when okay. I got mine, I opened it up. I go upstairs. I have I have the book, and if I go to the right page, I see the missing word balloons and stuff like that. But I always say I want one that's unaffected, and that's the second print. But the only way to know this it's a second print is to open it, and they're all shrink wrapped, mm. and nobody like who's selling them is doing that because they you know it's kind of luck of the draw. Like oh, I sell you as is. If you get the bad one, so be it. You know. I don't know, but at least they're fixing things, Joe. PDFs and printouts and reprints in the next trade. DC, getting it right. Uh-huh, we'll see. <laughs> We're going to keep track of more of these. I attempted to go back through like the history of these, uh, all the way back to the first one that directly affected me, which was them just not doing a collection of Rebels, you know? Now, does that count? Well, because they, because they didn't mess it up. They just never did it. Does them doing nine issues of the Great Ten Maxi series when it was solicited as a ten issue series count? No, because they finished it. Okay. They, well, they finished it prematurely. Right. Well, you know, nothing I'd know about, but yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, I don't edit comics, so. Right, of course. But it was just one of the, like, the Rebels one was we're going to continue to collect this book and trade. And then I was getting the book and trade because I found out about the book late. And, you know, single issues were hard to find. And then they just said, like, yeah, we're not doing a print version of The Last Trade. Go figure it out yourself. Right, and didn't that was with Hitman for the longest time, and that was Hitman for the longest time. And then they too, finally so. finished it, yeah. So this set, this segment is supposed to just be for them actually putting the collection out, but putting the collection out wrong. Yes, yeah, so mucking it up somehow. I would no. almost say that. Yeah, I was gonna try to validate my initial thought to get those unfinished collections in there. Right, unfinished miniseries or books that were canceled before their time. But yeah, yeah. So it is a bigger sin to put the collection out wrong Mm -hmm. and not fix it than it is not to finish the series at all. Right, because some series, I'm going to like defend my my argument, even though I don't have to, is because like just say Justice League International that ran for a hundred and you know seventeen issues or whatever, but a lot of it was bad. So, like, did them not finishing and putting them into trades doesn't make it, you know, wrong because the first half was really good. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's kind of the way I look at it. But No, I get you. But we'll be keeping an eye out for uh, more foul-ups like this. And if you see any foul-ups from DC out in the wild or you hear something or you have a trade where it's the same page printed like six times in a row, let me know. So we could uh, discuss it here on the show, you know? Right, add it to the list. Add it to the list. Uh, So now, uh, if we can, we are going to go over to our interview that we had conducted earlier this week uh, with our good friend Jason Sandberg, creator of the comic Jupiter, and what he has in store for the future of that comic. And let's go over to that interview right now. Well, everyone, we have a special guest on with us. Very rarely does it happen. Uh, Usually only when we get some of the biggest names or people that we're big fans of to be on the show. But this time we have someone that's not only uh, we're a fan of, but he's a fan of us. He claims he's been listening to us for a very long time, and that would be Jason Sandberg, uh, creator of Jupiter, which we've been plugging on the show for many, many moons. And uh, he is on not only... To t- tell us how great we are, but also to tell us about the next chapter in the Jupiter saga, which we'll get to. <laughs> That's right, Joe. Let me tell you, those kids out there, they might not know the lore of, of the Longbox Heroes. I remember back when the show was called The Weekly Longbox. That's how long I've been listening. I've been listening so long, I remember when they were selling cake online. <laughs> kids, kids, they were selling cake online. Joe had a different name. So, I mean, this is just this is just amazing to be on the show. The other thing is a longtime listener, I want to say, a fringe benefit of being on the show is in the green room, Joe tells you what a secret science, super secret science job is. So you really have to be on the show to get like really embedded and learn all, of, all you can about the Longbox Heroes. So it's fantastic to be here. And um, this is a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to tell people about Jupiter. So this is a this is a great opportunity to be on, guys, uh, as a longtime listener. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of yours. I'm a fan of comics. And a lot of people have heard uh, Jupiter mentioned on the show because I oftentimes write in and I'm on the uh, Twitter and so forth. And um, so the, the word is that uh, Jupiter 
is my comic book. It's going to be uh, launching on March 30th on Indiegogo. It's going to be 40 pages full color. Um, it is a story that begins the uh, epic journey of, uh, of a young teenager on her path to become a superhero in a world without superheroes. So there's surrealism. There's uh, interdimensional uh, revolutions. There's uh, family struggles. And you're gonna um, you're gonna be in on the ground floor of a, of a new comic book experience. Um, I mean, I, I was gonna say, so you are the writer and the artist on this, correct? Yep, that's correct. Yep. So writer, artist, yep. Everything, inking, penciling, lettering. It's a one man production. Yeah, I did a I did a black and white version of Jupiter in the '90s. It was uh, critically acclaimed, but I just I did not have a marketing budget. I was just a young kid. So now um, I've, I'm taking another um, um, swing at the bat, and uh, Jupiter's going to be um, 40 pages uh, full color. And I am writing, drawing, doing everything, doing doing all the coloring on this. Um, it's been a it's been a wild ride, and I'm looking forward to sharing with people. So you mentioned uh, you did this originally back in the '90s, right? When we say 90s, you know, obviously we have our Patreon show. We're looking through those previews catalogs. Did we miss Jupiter in the previews catalogs that we're doing in like up to 93 or when would we have hit yours? Did it make it into Diamond? Yeah, it was it was carried by Diamond. You're not going to hit me in the previews until you get to like 1998, 1999. Okay, I was wondering what 90s we were talking about, like how, you know. Um, so, and again, that was a rough time for any comics, you know, the major two were having some rough goes around that time. So, um, you know, this was just, I guess, when you had that ability and you had that thought and that had that idea to go forward and you're just like, we're going to give it a try, right? Absolutely. And, you know, Jupiter ran nine issues, again, critically acclaimed, just did not have a good marketing budget. And I think the, the what's great about comic books is you can create a whole universe and you can do all these things with a pretty small production budget, right? Just a piece of paper and a pencil and some good ideas. Um, but unfortunately, the retailers, you know, they've got rent, they've got overhead. So they're less likely to take a risk on some, on a new creator and so forth. And that brings us to the current, uh, current dynamics of crowdfunding, where um, crowdfunding is more direct than the direct market because you're connecting directly to, to readers. And if you're a reader, you're going you're gonna to maybe try a $10 book you've never heard of. If you're a retailer, it's pretty hard to order several copies of that. It's an unknown. It's an unknown variable. Um, after the campaign's over and after I fulfill in uh, June, July, I will be soliciting through Diamond. So um, eventually um, the, the excess print run will be available through Diamond. So looking forward to getting into comic book shops, but immediately um, the, 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 um, strategy is to crowd crowdfund the, the uh, print run so this is you know something that a lot of other creators have seen a ton of ex success with um you know over you know the last several years you know we've mentioned before you know your people like jimmy Pagliotti is a big supporter of not only his books but also he does his best to help the indie creators out now i ask you know you're doing this through indiegogo kickstarter is a lot of people when they think of a book kickstarter is almost like the like the the proper noun of like how kleenex is tissue and you know coke is soda and everything else like that so what made you did you weigh the options between the two how did you come to the decision to go with uh indiegogo 
So Indiegogo has the, this in-demand status where after the, the book crowdfunds and you fulfill your campaign, you can leave it on Indiegogo. It's like an open store. So going going forward in time, the book remains available, but it's not exclusive. So I can continue to um, to, to push it through Diamond. Eventually, um, I'll put a digital, digital version on uh, Comixology or on, the, or on the Omnibus app that's coming up. But the idea is that uh, if you, you gain all this, um, spend all this time pushing people to Indiegogo to uh, fund the campaign, and then you're able to leave it in this in-demand status so it remains available as an evergreen. And I think that's a great thing to have with this. And of course, you know, as you mentioned, it's launching this upcoming Thursday, as a lot of you are hearing this, which is the 30th. And of course, with any sort of campaign like this, you also have some pre-order bonuses, early sign-on bonuses, and then I have questions on how you came to those. Oh, and there he's holding up. And this is, you know, we got the video end of things. This is what you get in the green room, of course. You get a non-prize, very similar to a no-prize. Joe, jo, the non-prize is much better than a, than a no-prize. So, yeah, the first 100 backers are going to get a free non-prize. It looks, it's kind of an homage to the Kirby era, a non-prize that Marvel would do. But this is, uh, this is indie, so this is cooler. And um, so the first 100 backers will get a free non-prize. Jupiter itself is going to be nine dollars, um, so um, it's pretty affordable. Um, to, to pretty for, pretty affordable um, first tier. So you have the non-prize. You also have a postcard set as well. Absolutely. The, there's a second tier where you can get a postcard portfolio, and what that is is it is um, two ver two two each. Uh, seven different paintings that I did uh, year, in the past few years that are inspired by the works of Jack Kirby. So what I would do is I'd find um, I'd, I'd find uh, different parts of a Jack Kirby panel that really spoke to me, whether it be um, a monster or a hero or some sort of landscape. I kind of mix and match them and I'll create a unique painting. So there's uh, it's a wonderful little a little memento to celebrate the campaign. So it's a postcard portfolio. And if you um, add on that tier, you get uh, two each of seven different postcards, uh, one to keep and one to mail to a friend. I like that, that you're getting the double so that people can actually mail postcards. I don't even know if they have postcard stamps these days anymore. They do, Joe. And not only that, but I made sure that my postcard complied with the postal regulations for a <laughs> postcard stamp. So you do not have to pay the, the forever uh, first class stamp. You can use a, a postcard stamp on the Jupiter uh, postcard portfolio. And the other thing that uh, Jason was just holding up here is the coin, uh, a camp or challenge coin. That's right. So back in the Roman Empire, when the generals would celebrate a successful campaign for their soldiers, they mint a special coin. They passed it out as a memento. And let me tell you, the struggle to make a comic book, it is a long slog. And I feel like I've conquered some I, th I think I've conquered the field of battle having completed the comic book. So to commemorate that, I made a special limited edition, 100 of these challenge coins. So it just celebrates the first issue. Um, it's kind of a fun little uh, little thing to hold on to and uh, to cherish. Um, I think only the uh, the the uh, most diehard Jupiter fans are going to go for it. But regardless, I'm going to offer it as a, a campaign add-on. So you know, and obviously, this is a lot of the stuff that's available. Um, you know, you have your social media stuff, uh, your YouTube page, where uh, you know YouTube.com, and it's YouTube's weird now. You have to put the do you have to put the at in there for like slash at Jason Sandberg <sighs> again? Yeah, YouTube is getting away from me these days, right? <laughs> Yeah, but I will say, 
Um, one of the fun, I mean, making the comic book Jupiter, um, that has been a, a wild ride. It's been fun, but what's been extra, the, uh, the icing on the cake has been the animation. So to promote, uh, Jupiter on Twitter and, and YouTube and so forth, I finally had the opportunity to, um, to train myself on making animation. So I used Adobe animate and just using the artwork from the comic book itself, I was able to make about a dozen, uh, little, um, 20 30 second little video clips that it was so much fun because as a as someone growing up watching thunder the barbarian and johnny quest and so forth i was wanted to do animation couldn't justify the time but having a comic book i needed to promote was a golden opportunity to teach myself animation had a wild time doing it i encourage people to check out my twitter page or check out the youtube page and uh, kick back and watch some of that animation that i made to promote jupiter I was going to say, it, it's very much a feel of the cartoons you mentioned, of course, also like those 60s uh, Marvel cartoons as well. You know, obviously, it's a little bit better than what they were able to do, you know, 50 years ago uh, than what you're doing. And, you know, you mentioned, of course, Kirby and a Kirby influence. And you look at that stuff and, you know, I, I looked at a lot of it. And, of course, like there's monsters and there's space people and all this other stuff. And I get like a like looking at them, I get the feel of like the the tops like Mars attacks, dinosaurs attacks, that sort of stuff. And then one of the final images that shows up, uh, there's a woman standing on the beach. And if you showed me that image, I'm like, that's a Jack Kirby uh, Big Barda, right? <laughs> yeah. And like, if you were not convinced of the Kirby influence, and there's the Kirby influence that you could see, but there's just something about that way that you drew that character on the beach's hair. Like, there's that's unmistakable. It's common for people to homage Kirby, and I'm one of the people who loves to homage Kirby, and I want to keep his his uh, style alive. It's He created a unique uh, visual vocabulary. It's unmistakable, and it has just crackles with energy. And uh, so I just like to celebrate Jack Kirby by, by saying, hey, if Jack Kirby were to paint a tropical landscape with a beautiful woman, here's what it would look like. So um, you said that with the campaign going forward this Thursday, you said that issue one is more or less done, ready to go. And then you have a turnaround time. What is how far out do you have this plotted, scripted, penciled, roughed? You know, like if we go ahead and the listeners go in on this, obviously you're going to get that issue one in as relatively quick as a turnaround time as any sort of, you know, uh, crowdfunding campaign. But uh, how far reaching of a story do you have with this in your mind and ready to go? So uh, the first issue, 95 percent done. I'm doing the cleanup art right now, doing final tweaks. At the end of the campaign, it'll be off to the printers and I'll be, be fulfilling in June. But the greater story, the larger story, the world building that I'm doing, I have the next 20 issues um, scripted to like a second draft and thumbnailed. So everything is plotted out. I'm not going to do a Jar Jar Abrams where I don't have a good ending for my story and people are investing their time. I have a fantastic arc, a fantastic ending to the story. Um, it's, but it's flexible enough that I can kind of tweak it and adjust it. If a certain character becomes a fan favorite or if I decided to kind of adjust the direction I can do that I'm not I don't have any handcuffs on me but by and large I have 20 20 issues all plotted out scripted out and ready to go so um, I've done all my world building and as this continues on the second issue will be coming out faster third issue faster and it's going to be a roller coaster I encourage people to uh, buy their ticket and get in on the ground floor so in all the work that you do now for this, are you a digital guy or do you like do you, uh, old fashioned pen to paper kind of uh, deal for the art? 
So to get the spontaneity, I'll do thumbnails on three by five index cards, and then I'll scan them in, and I'll kind of stretch them out and adjust them, and then then I'll take it into the. Um, uh, I've got a. a, a Apple iPad with an with an Apple pencil, and I'll begin to do my line art uh, line art that way, and then I'll I'll take it into Photoshop, color it, and then take it back and do additional layers. So when you look at my work, you can see that there's um, pretty bold pretty bold lines, but a lot of texturing and a lot of uh, layers of color in Photoshop. That's cool. That's cool. What was the transition like for that for you as someone who has been creating comics, you know, for, you know, a variety of levels for the last 30 some odd years to see these sort of advancements with, you know, as you mentioned, you currently do it on a three by five card in the past. I'm sure you had like a drafting table and all this other stuff. And now you do it on a three by five card, send it to a tablet and then, you know, you could just completely change your vision and make it come to real life, I guess. Exactly. You know, when I was a youngster, I'd spend I spend hours on you know paper and pencil, and it gets so frustrating because you get the right expression on a character, but then then maybe it was they were too close to the doorway or or the the uh, per, the uh, perspective on the in, in the room was wrong, and so it was just harder to erase everything and so forth. So in a digital environment, you can you can begin to sculpt things, and once you get something that's that that's that's correct. You can add to it. You can make it some uh, make some adjustments without having to erase. So digital is is, uh, is a lot of fun. And I wish I wish I had it uh, thirty years ago. Well, they had it. You know, we 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 always read the ads for like all sorts of digital process, but I can't imagine what the digital process was like then to now to be able to pick this up. And I, and again, I, I'm going to guess that you're probably within the age bracket of us. Uh, myself and Todd, and I see behind you is, you know, Jason has his video on, he has a lot of books. Have you made the full transition to digital books yet, or are you still getting the uh, single issues, uh, you know, in print like the rest of us of this age? What I love about the digital is you can you can try out new titles. You can try little little short runs and see if they if they if they're if they're good for you know if they if they click with you. And then uh, what I'll do is is um, if I really enjoy something, I'll buy it in in hardcover, and I'll I'll, I'll add it to my my little library over here. But it is a it is a unique age we live in where you can um, you can hunt down something digitally, try it out, see if it clicks with you, and then get it get it in a hard copy if you if you want to kind of add it to your permanent library so i have a question like so now when you're all done with this project and you're doing the physical copy are you because you said you're pretty much doing everything are you printing it out too or are you uh, shopping that out to like a, a printer yeah, I've got a printer that I'm going to work with here in Minnesota, and it's a flagship printing facility, and they've got big uh, perfecting Heidelberg presses, and they maintain the presses in the G7 Graco color space. So what I see on my screen, my what I see on my screen is what the uh, the readers are going to get on the page. And and that's amazing again, just to see um, this idea of yours from you know almost 30 years ago finally come to fruition. You know, in today's day and age with the direct to the person who's going to want to see this and again i don't want to say bypassing your local retailer but it's going to get offered to those local retailers and obviously you're going to want everyone to get this on the indiegogo when it comes out and you said that the summer is when you're shooting for this to be in the previews diamond catalog right 
That, yeah, that's correct. But additionally, on the Indiegogo campaign, I do have a retailer tier. So those retailers that are that are here and listening to your podcast, if they're interested in, in backing Jupiter, um, there's a retailer tier where you can get um, eight issues, eight copies of the comic book for 40 bucks. So about half off the cover price. And then I heavily subsidize the shipping. So if you're a retailer, look at that retailer tier. Uh, you'll get the book early, and then again, I will um, be approaching Diamond and uh, and have it solicited through Diamond for. And I imagine it'll probably be showing up in the fall. But I, I have to um, honor my commitment to the Indiegogo Indiegogo backers first, so I'll fulfill, and then I'll um, submit to Diamond. I can think of at least two retailers that listen to this show, and I'm going to give them <laughs> one. One I could maybe give the push to in person. The other one, I can't take a trip out to California, but you know he's. Well, We'll DM him. Rest assured, Mr. Mike Sterling is going to be ordering some copies. Trust me. Oh, fantastic. That saves me a trip out to California. I don't like right. to travel anyway. So was- I, I was listening to you guys for years. And then when uh, you made the connection with Mike Sterling, I said, you know, I was I was I was at home the whole time. Um, Mike's wonderful. He's been great to me over the years. Uh, he's a he's a cyber friend. And uh, I don't know what year it was. But when you started dropping his name, I said, hot, hot damn, I'm, I'm home. Um <laughs> Come full circle. I and I wish I could remember how I came upon Mike and his blog. There was a podcast that I was listening to, and I, unfortunately, it's been scrubbed from the internet. It's one of those things where I can't remember the name of the podcast, but I remember they were two gentlemen in England. It's not House to Astonish; it's another show. Two guys in England. One of the guys grew up on an army base, so his his first foray into comics was like the English translations of the G.I. Joe comics through Marvel UK and they pushed a book um, from a French publisher called The Killer and those are the only two things that I could remember and I searched so much about them and I know that's how I came upon Mike because they would talk about Mike's blog there and then I would follow Mike's blog from there and I really enjoyed that and he's one of those ones that when I wake up in the morning and I have all my links ready to go for whatever <laughs> podcast I'm going to be listening to and I see if Mike has a new blog or something up and you know I support his Patreon or whatever it is and he, he's a really good guy he supports us and it's good to have like you know no matter how big or small your community is it's nice to have a community and find those people that have existed in this space of comic book fandom or retail or creators and to form those relationships you know Joel, that's a very elaborate cover story. I think what happened is you were a fan of the spirit movie by Frank Miller and you were searching <laughs> don't don't get me started think, on the spirit movie I think it's on the wheel it's on the wheel we could be watching it sometime this year for the patreon show. Joe, I think that's how you found Mike Sterling. You you you, found, you were looking for somebody else that liked the Spirit movie. You know I, what? Found, I, oh. I found Mike through Joe. Joe, I will admit. And then I love, like, after uh, a show and or a Patreon show, our DMs will go off. And it'll be Mike like, oh, like, you're talking about this book. And I had, like, 30 of those in the shop. And some guy, you know, brought, like, recently brought that book in, trying to sell them off. And it's absolutely fantastic to get, like, the other side of the business from uh, somebody like Mike. Yeah, he's he's seen it. He's seen it. He's been there so long. He's seen everything. So, yeah, Mike's the treasure. And Mike Mike Sterling's blog will be the last blog standing. Yes. Uh, I certainly hope so. I hope Mike's, uh, you know, continuing to share his insights on comics with us for a long time. So 
I want to ask, you know, so obviously we have the Indiegogo, we have social media, we have YouTube. Do you have any conventions planned this year to go out and support and promote the book, the Kickstarter or the Kickstarter, the Indiegogo, excuse me, or anything else like that? I've got a very demanding day job, but my but once the book is printed, the extras, I do plan to start making uh, regional appearances and so forth. And then obviously, eventually, I've got to get out to the um, the, the West Coast and, and do a signing at Mike's shop. I'll probably be doing some local signings in Minnesota. But in terms of conventions, um, that will be coming. It's just uh, over the horizon. I can't see it. I can't see it yet. Gotcha. I, I, I can relate to having a demanding day job. You know, it's it's tough. We I got to ask for days off seven months in advance. And that's yeah, maybe even still, you know, when you run like Cinnabon, I get to take off whenever I want. I love it. No wife, no kid, my own job. Comic-Con, <laughs> here I come. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm just trying to think. So have you is there because I, I, you know, we check and see, is there a big convention in your area that you've hit before, made connections at before or have any interesting experiences going to a convention with like a big name creator? It's like, oh, hey, I met this guy and he was great. Or I met this guy and uh, wasn't exactly what I expected. I know all you know. I'm in, I'm in Minnesota here, so um, everybody's very very cordial and very folksy. I've met Dan Jurgens; he's fantastic. Um, I luckily I never ran into David Carradine. Luckily, um, <laughs> I won that feud. By the way, you, you did you did win that feud. Um, but um, uh, no, there's a couple there's a couple of Minnesota cons, um, and and again I um, uh, I'm looking forward to getting out there and circulating. But uh, no uh, no troublemakers haven't had any bad experiences. Uh, everybody that I've met's been pretty fantastic. That's awesome to hear. That's great to hear. Yeah. Um, so you know we talked about um, the book coming up. You told us what it's about. You mentioned your Kirby influence. Is there anyone else that you that had that same influence on you other than Kirby that maybe someone wouldn't expect? You know, we talked before looking at your stuff like, ah, there's the Kirby influence. But is there someone else that like, oh, you wouldn't know by looking at my art or reading my writing that I was inspired by whomever? Um, what I what I strive to do is is to mix the um, mix the indescribable with the epiphany, and um, I, I, I try to strive for like what if what if Grant Morrison could draw like John Bushima, like like what if I could mix those two things together where you've got your feet on the ground but your head is in the clouds. Um, so I love I love Mobius, I love the Silver Age Marvel, I love John Byrne uh, and and Jack Kirby's Zap Comics. Um, so I'm kind of a mishmash, but. But regardless of uh, what kind of story I'm trying to do, I'm trying to bring the le- the reader along a path and kind of blow their minds, and but still be rooted in in reality. Right. And uh, so after the Indiegogo, like when you do go to maybe uh, previews in Diamond, what's the name? Will it be uh, Sandberg Publishing, so people know where to look? Is that the, the the imprint? Is what your your book will be under? Yep, it'll be Sandberg Publishing. Okay. Now, this is another weird question of something that we've seen kind of transpire uh, with distribution over the last two years. You're going with Diamond. You're not going to go with Lunar or anybody else like that. It's just going to be Diamond. I'm going to give Diamond a shot and then I'll reach out to Lunar as well. I was just interested to see if maybe you had already gone through that process and like found one to be easier to deal with. But I think, 
you know, everyone when they still think of comics, even though, you know, we're coming up almost in the three year that Lunar has been a thing that, you know, everyone still goes to diamonds still, you know, even when I go to my store, you know, I got my image catalog. I got my Marvel catalog. I got my DC catalog. I got my diamond catalog. And I tell my retailer, I'm like, I'll just take the diamond one. I'm good. You know, it's not that I don't get Marvel or DC or Image or any of those other things, but I like getting that previews one so I could look through to see, as we call it, the green section. You know, look for those interesting books, those hard-to-find titles, those diamonds, pun intended, in the rough of those books, because here now we are, you know, however long the diamond's been going on, there's still new stuff out there, there's still new things to discover. You know, your favorite creator is now self-publishing somewhere else or just self-publishing in general. Yeah, I I I root, I've always rooted for Diamond. Um, you know, it, it's it's difficult. They were they put themselves in a difficult situation where they had you know they basically had a quasi you know through their exclusive agreements they had a quasi monopoly. Diamond did a lot of things right. Um, they didn't have the right kind of competition, so they didn't continue to up their game. But but in my gut, you know, I still root for Diamond. I want the, I want Diamond to be better. I want Diamond to do well. I want Lunar to do well. Um, but I I think it's um it, it's I think it's important to just give diamond a shot and uh, throw your weight behind diamond and give them another shot. Yeah. And if I look at it, when me and Joe are doing previewing the past, like 30 years from now from the nursing home, we'll be able to talk about your book when it pops up there. (laughs) Sounds good. So give us the one last push for everything. Um, The campaign starts Thursday as you're listening to this, March 30th. And they run for 30 days, like the initial order, but then, as you mentioned, it stays up there that you could get it from there once the campaign is fulfilled, right? Exactly, yeah. Campaign runs 30 days. Um, If it's doing really well, I can extend it another 30 days, Uh, but the book will be uh, going to the printer when the campaign closes. So March 30th is when uh, everybody, please head over there to Indiegogo and, uh, and, and back the book. Um, if you want to go early, you can uh, go and get, get go and sign up uh, to be notified when the campaign launches. I think I've already signed up at least twice. I don't know if that means <laughs> I'm going to get like two or three emails on it, but I don't want to, you know, uh, miss it. Not that I'm going to miss it because we're talking about it here and I have the emails and we're going to mention it, of course, on the show. And of course, this is going to be in the show notes every week as everyone listens to the show. Um, you know, we're going to try to push this as much as we can in the hopes to help you reach the goal, get this book published, get this in as many hands of our listeners as possible so that you can connect with more uh, folks just like you that have been listening to us for a week or nearly before we started recording. Jason's like, it's almost been a decade that we've been doing the show. And I'm like, it's been a decade that we've been doing this show. Yeah, yeah. And then we had the, the one before that, too. But who God only knows, you know? <laughs> Those have been scrubbed from the Internet as well. That's there used true. to be – you guys used to have a third guy on here. Yeah. It was back when we were three guys from nowhere. It was the original run. And then we were two guys from nowhere. And then, you know, like you said, the weekly long box and now long box heroes. God only knows what the next regeneration will be, you know? Oh, boy. <laughs> Regenerations. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know which regeneration it'll be, but I will be here listening to you fellows. Thank you so much for having me. Jason, again, thank you for taking time out of your very busy schedule. We we, we wish you all the luck in the world with this. And again, I'm not going to say that we're going to take credit for the book when it's a huge success, uh, but it's in it's written down here in pencil. Take credit for Jason's success. <laughs> so, <laughs> Hey, you know, copy an A, get an A. <laughs> there um, you go. Thanks again, Jason. Thank you, Jason, for coming on the show. It was a pleasure.
Yes. Uh, so Jason, as he mentioned in uh, the interview, does not have any conventions planned. But if he does, you'll find out about it here where we talk about the conventions that are happening this weekend. And two weeks in a row, Todd, it is a week of big, giant conventions. Stacked. Stacked. Uh, so we have Steel City Comic Con, less a Comic Con, but again, you know, we mention it just because there's genre folks that are going to be there, of course. Um, and I always like to see like the folks that typically don't get out to conventions or just interesting names on the list. Your Kelsey Grammers, your Tom Akins, your George Wentz and people like that. Uh, but Jesse the Body Ventura is coming to Pittsburgh this weekend. I thought he didn't have time to go to Pittsburgh. Oh, no, wait, that was to bleed. I'm sorry. Oh, oh, oh. He's he's finally decided to come off the grid from Mexico. <laughs> right. And he's doing it. This is the first time I've seen Jesse at a convention in a very long time. And uh, also uh, at Steel City Comic Con, Richard Dean Anderson is going to be there. Ooh, I'd love to go to see that with you and then enjoy you enjoying him. Mm-hmm. But I will say this. Do you know who still has the last like? From Richard Dean Anderson on Twitter? Who would that be, Todd? That would be this guy right here, Todd. <laughs> so uh, if you're just more for the uh, meet and greets, the photo ops, and that sort of thing. And then uh, people from sports and entertainment, Dan Housen and MJF are going to be there. Mm-hmm. Claude Aiken's son is going to be there. No. I, well, again, I would say that Claude Aikens and Tom Aikens are the same age. <laughs> okay. But Tom Aikens is a star of, like, genre B pictures uh, from the 70s and primarily from the 80s. Uh, Todd, you might know him from such films as Halloween 3. That's one of my favorite uh, horror movies. He's the He's the lead guy. I know who he is. I All just right. thought he was Claude's son. No, he's not Claude's son. They're probably contemporaries. Right. Uh, also, this weekend is Megacon uh, in Orlando, Florida. A huge list of folks that are going to be there. Um, nice mix of comics folks and uh, media folks. Frank Miller, Jeff Johns, Joe Casada, the Kubert brothers, uh, Donnie Cates, uh, Ed McGinnis, Joshua Williamson. And then on the media guest side, Rosario Dawson, the star of the uh, aforementioned Oshka series. Respectfully. Uh, Chevy Chase, also respectfully. <laughs> uh, William Zobka, I mean, Sensei Lawrence will be there. Uh, Henry Winkler is going to be there. Hayden Christensen making a rare convention appearance. Wow, there you go. And uh, Christina Ricci is going to be there as well. Black Snake Moan, baby. And I will say the saddest day of my life was when I found out Henry Winkler wasn't actually magic. Oh, He's a different kind of magic. Yes, he is. Uh, but also this weekend is C2E2. And I'm not going to be there. Well, you could still go. The chopper's fueled up, you know? Mm. It's my go- last goal when it comes to a con, Joe. Yeah, well, we had plans to go this year, but uh, it ends up happening on the same weekend that me and my wife have something planned. And it's WrestleMania this weekend, so it's like the one-two punch, you know? Mm-hmm. And I always think of WrestleMania like a punch to the face. So. <laughs> but this is, you know, you got media folks here. Um, you know, Chris Evans of the Captain America movie is going to be there. John Glover, uh, Michael Rosenbaum. But this is your more comic book-centric folks one. Mm-hmm. And when I look at this guest list, I am kind of kicking myself for missing it. We're going to get there one day, Todd, I promise. 
I want to get there by 50. So next or while I'm 50. So next year we might All have right. to do it. Well, well, this after this weekend, they're going to announce uh, the dates for 2024. And I'm going to put my foot down with my wife and say, no, we can't take any other trips. Right. She will totally remember all year. And for now. But anyway. Uh, uh, Art, Art Balthazar and Franco, Art Adams, Brian Azzarello, Daniel Warren Johnson, Jeff Smith, Jenny Frisson, Jill Thompson, Kevin Eastman, Kevin McGuire, Kyle Stark, Scott Snyder, Scotty Young, Terry Moore. And I look at like this guest list and I'm like, I'd be spending money at this convention, you know? So would I, especially at one table, Joe. No, no I'd, I'd keep you away from that table. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, if you're if you're not uh, going to see a comedian uh, this weekend or uh, going to be watching the WrestleMania, definitely go check out some of these conventions if they're in your area. And the links to all of these will be in the show notes to every single one of these episodes, no matter where it is that you find them. Uh, as will information about the soon-to-be-named network at soon-to-be-named-network.com, soon-to-be-named-network.tumblr.com. Anytime any of the shows go live, you can, of course, find them there, outside of their respective podcatchers, individual social medias, whatever. But one-stop shop, all the times, all the shows, anytime anybody from those shows go on other shows, you could find them there, as long as they let me know. Uh, you can also check out some of our friends and the stuff that they're up to. Uh, you can head over to Mike Sterling's blog at ProgressiveRuin.com. You got a little bit of a plug during the interview with Jason. Uh, head over to our friend Kevin's blog, uh, MaskedLibrary.com. Head over to our friend Rick Williams' site, FreeKarateChops.StoreEnvy.com. He's got all those cool uh, resin, glow-in-the-dark, sci-fi, fantasy wrestling figures. He's got pins and stickers, all sorts of stuff. Uh, head over to FortressOfComicNews.com for not only Chris Runt's podcast, but also his self-published comic, Battle Monsters. We mentioned it before, Jason Sandberg's Indiegogo for the next chapter of his Jupiter comic book goes live this Thursday. We have the link there. Sign up. Get on the mailing list. Be one of the first folks to get on that book. Jason has been a longtime supporter of us. This is a way that we can kind of pay that back to him, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, you could also check out our good friend uh, Dave uh, of the band Cave People. I think he's doing some sort of online concert thing tonight as we're recording this. Not that that's going to help you, but check him out on social media. Check out his self-published comic book, Keeper, at keepercomic.bigcartel.com. And check out our comic book shop, Comics on the Green, their social media is primarily through Facebook. That's where Dave lets you know about all the books that are coming out this week, when the books have arrived for this week, when the pre-order cutoffs are going to be. Uh, really does a good job to keep you up to date on stuff that we can't cover. We can't cover everything. Dave can't cover everything. But I think between the two of us, we get pretty much everything. Right. And sign up for their mail order subscription service. Again, if you don't have a comic book shop in your area or you don't have a good comic book shop in your, in your area, let our shop be your shop, sign up for their mail order subscription service, get stuff mailed to you weekly, bi-weekly, monthly. And if you do, there's a chance that you can get a sketch on your package from our good friend, Becky, her social media is linked up on there. I personally to her face, harassed her about getting prints and a portfolio together in time for Free Comic Book Day. 
Mm -hmm. you can harass her through social media as well or remind me to make sure that I harass her when I go pick up my books. Right. It's not bullying if you're helping. Right. I'm trying to help her make money. She yeah. apparently hates money. I she like does. money. She does. I do like money, too. Right. And if I can't get money, I'm going to see my friends get money. That's right. As long as it's money, we're good. Right. Listen, I have friends that have different talents than I do. And I want to mm -hmm. see them be as successful in their line of talentdom as they possibly can be. Right. I can't wrestle. I can't sing. I can't draw. I can't write. But my friends that do, I want to help them make as much money doing the things that they do well that I can't do, that I like. Right. There you go. It's always an opportunity. That's, ooh, there's that word. So, Todd, let's get into what we read from this past week. Where would you like to begin? Uh, I'm going to start with the book I was looking forward to most with Superman 2, um, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Jamal Campbell. Um, last we left our intrepid hero, Superman, he was being attacked by a bunch of parasite clones, you know, and they're like sapping his power. Um, and he wants to take a look and like he's like he gets away from them, but he's like depowered a little bit. And he ends up checking out the city with his vision. He's like, oh, this is worse than I thought because various uh, parasite clones maybe, you know, possessed people by parasite. We're not 100% sure. Um, so he's like, I have to take care of this. All the while, uh, Lex Luthor from jail is in his ear, running his mouth, as Lex Luthor <laughs> likes to do. Um, he's even like, I like he does a bit where he's like, uh, you know, even depowered, like I've, I've, calculated that you should have been here two minutes ago and you still haven't showed up he's like ah oh, i don't want any of that um so superman ends up going to super superman core which was the old lex court he talks to mercy and she's he's trying to get the rundown he's like she doesn't says she doesn't know anything but she's like you work for lex uh maybe you do know something but he's always hiding something um, and then we kind of get more of the cabal that's behind it. And I don't know if this is the official name, but I hope it is that it's the secret order of mad scientists. And we get names for two of the members, which are graft and farm, um, more like P H A R M like pharmacy. Um, and they're like, it, they're like, you can't be messing with all this stuff. Like you're messing with kryptonite. You're messing with, you know, bizarro. Uh, now, whatever we've done with parasite, we're, we're playing in Luther's like sandbox and this is going to be, uh, bad. Um, and he, Superman ends up, you know, enlisting the help of like the other super family members. And he may realize when he goes to try and help Lois, um, because he was like, oh, that, you know, yeah, nobody's checked on her, that the situation with what's going on with Parasite may be worse than we actually thought. Actually, it is worse than we actually thought. But uh, once again, I'm loving this book. It looks beautiful. I love the big uh, doe-eyed uh, Parasite uh, clones. And uh, like Superman acting the way I think Superman should act. He's not grim and gritty, but he's also not a big, dumb, grinning idiot either. Right, he could very easily be the guy who just punches all of his problems, mm -hmm. and there's several instances in this issue alone where he uses his other, um, you know, I guess less referred to power set to not harm, but to to prevent and to save. Right. Right? Like, you know, we get the heat vision, we get the ice breath, which very rarely comes up uh, in Superman stories, and I can't remember for how long, right? Right. But we get, like, a new wrinkle. Like, it's on the cover, and I, I'll, I'll throw this out here. I didn't love the main cover for this, right? 
Right. Too much black on the cover. I hate when they kill a squid to make a comic book, right? Right. It depends. Sometimes it works, but go ahead. But they introduce a new character that they put in the book, Marilyn Moonlight. She gets a thing on the cover. Um, but she does a thing, and I don't want to spoil this, okay? Right. Um, and it tiptoe around it, right? So Superman's off of his battle with the Parasite folks, and he's a little uh, underpowered, if you will. But then he has an interaction with Marilyn Moonlight, and then we get maybe a new wrinkle to it that Superman's powers work. Right. And I thought that was interesting. Like, they put it in there not so much as a throwaway, but just something as like, oh, here's a thing we could do that we've never done before, or if we've done before, we haven't done in a very long time. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was something interesting that they kind of threw in there, just, uh, you know, kind of to let this new character have a little bit more of a stronger connection to Superman. Right. And I will say I'm a fan of the look of the character, even though, you know, I, I like the basic motif that she's got going on. Sure, sure. I think the cover doesn't do what the character design looks like justice. No, it doesn't. But in the book, especially with uh, ja, uh, with uh, Jamal Campbell's art, it looks really cool to me. For sure. Um, so, yeah, I've been really enjoying this new Superman. And, you know, obviously it's set up in a way that you don't have to read action comics as well. Um, you know, you're talking to someone who at one time was getting all four or five Superman titles that they were publishing for a very long time. And it feels good to just be getting one and getting a nice, good, complete story. I agree. Yep. Uh, so the other book that we both read from this past week uh, was Nightwing number 102, written by Tom Taylor with art by Travis Moore. Uh, this is the continuation of what we're seeing going on with the Titans attempting to establish themselves as not only a bright shining marker uh, for Bloodhaven, but also, you know, what we've essentially been told that they're going to be the replacement for the Justice League, essentially. Right. Right. Um, and this issue is them, the Titans specifically and Nightwing, uh, dealing with an, an imposter. Someone that could change their shape and someone who could look like anyone, specifically Nightwing in these instances in this book. And his whole thing is he is trying to get Blockbuster's daughter. Why? Why is he trying to get Blockbuster's daughter? Well, it all ties into Underworld Unleashed. <laughs> you remember Underworld Unleashed, don't you? I, I loved Underworld Unleashed. But anyway, go ahead. Uh, it was a two-issue miniseries that crossed over with all of the DC books in 1995. Um, show ran by Mark Wade. Um, the covers all had a neon green motif to them because it was the 90s. But it was an attempt by DC to power up some of their lesser-known or lesser-powered supervillains, right? Mm -hmm. And it was also to establish Neron as the DC Universe version of the devil. Uh, again, obviously, we've been talking about Sandman <laughs> over these last several weeks, where we've actually got that stuff being dealt with and addressed in 1988 and 89, where Sandman had to address that stuff, but also to set up their own versions and iterations of these sort of things. But by 1994, 95 DC is attempting to say like, no, this is this, this guy in with a giant green armor and long blonde flowing hair. He's our version of the devil for the DC universe characters. Right. Right. 
So Blockbuster was one of those characters got that got souped up uh, by Neron, and now um, one of the other supervillains. And I'll ask you, Todd, the villain in this, the shapeshifter guy, is he a new character that we just don't know about? Or di- is this like a previously like forgotten character that Tom Taylor dug up for this run? I will say this. I think he's a new character because I didn't read every issue of the Underworld Unleashed crossover. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm Like I said, he could be a new character. I, I possibly think he's a new character. I actually wish he was from when they had the reign of Superman after the one year later where they had the one shapeshifter who could change into someone if they ate a piece of their flesh. Do you remember that character? I do. And it was fantastic. It was like it worked with like hair or nails. I didn't need everything. But he he grew to a taste for it. But I like the version of this one, too. When things weren't going so well and he was trying to rob banks, that was my favorite moment in this book. Right. So I don't want to say that like he's very, very clearly a bad person. Mm-hmm. But he's like a funny bad person. And he's got kind of a tragic origin story. Mm-hmm. And you know he kind of gets the raw end of the deal with his deal with Neron, <laughs> like a lot of the folks did back in the day. And now the Titans have to go to the underworld, right, to <laughs> to find out why now all of a sudden the previously dealt with supervillains from the Neron days are now looking to get Blockbuster's daughter, right. Um, and I'm guessing, uh, I just looked it up, that the Grinning Man, that's his shoot name, brother, um, he's a new villain for that Tom Taylor created. Oh, that's cool. Um, but again, the way that he kind of retrofitted him into the Underworld Unleashed stuff was an interesting twist on all that, you know? Right, I like that too. For sure. And that's the thing, it was done so well, like, I questioned it, you know? Oh, this guy could be, it could have been a villain, like, we just never knew him, right? Right, that's the best. Uh, that's the best writers. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, so uh, we, you know, we've been touting this book for quite a long time. Um, maybe one of the best books that DC's consistent books that DC's been putting out for the better part of the last two years. Um, there's no bad time to jump on this book. The way that Tom Taylor writes it, it is a. It's just been one continuous story for the last almost two years. But every issue is almost like a brand new jumping on point. So there's no bad spot to jump on with this book. Right. It's the opposite of the '90s X-Men run. <laughs> and we, you know, we say that all the time about a book like this. But if it's that good, we're going to talk about it all the time. You know. Yep. Yep. Uh, so that's what we read from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, if you head over to longboxheroes.com every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home. However it is, you get your books. Be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. I'm currently in the lead with three correct guesses. Yes, you are. And I'm getting worried, Joe. So, um, looking at your list, um, I was going to try to sandbag you, but I'm not going to do that because I'm not that sort of guy. Right. Um, I am going to say that the book that you were most looking forward to coming out this week is Clobberin' Time number one. 
it is clobbering time, number one. Uh, Thing versus Hulk, I'll read that. So now I'm looking over here. And there's a lot of good stuff this week, Joe. Just Yeah. Like, and um, one book even got delayed the next week. Right. That would have made this week a slam dunk. Um, but I'm going to guess that the book you're looking forward to most is Stargirl, The Lost Children, number five. It's not. What is it? Clobberin' it, Time? It's Clobberin' Time number one. Oh, you're, get, you're pulling away. Yeah. Um, I am a sucker for Steve Scrooge's art. Right. Uh, he's writing and drawing this book, so it'll be interesting to see how this goes. Right. Um, you know, the last time that he did anything that I could recall um was almost like oh boy it was like eight ten years ago he did that miniseries we stand on guard with brian k vaughn okay um you know he he was in hollywood for a long time being like a storyboard guy for the wachowskis okay and i recall him from like the 90s he had like runs on like x-men books and spider-man books and he just had like this really unique looking style and I'm so interested, like just from the covers and stuff. Um, um, I'm really interested to see what he's going to be able to do with a Hulk thing fight, which is something I'm always on board for. I'm always on board for any Ben Grimm series. He's on that list of folks. Like if he's in a solo series, mini series, one shot, whatever it is, sign me up. I love the uh, ever loving blue eyed pal, the thing. And, uh, you know, obviously with this one, as much as I'm touting Steve Scrooge's art, one of the variant covers on this is by Greg Smallwood. I saw that today. Young Josh was showing it to me, and I was uh, taken <laughs> back because uh, now, like, he's using the same like colors that he uses for Human Target. But in my brain, I equate that to Justice League International now. Right. So seeing with Thing and Hulk, I'm like, I don't know. Make <laughs> Todd smash. <laughs> no, don't smash the books, Todd. Uh, that's that's the shippers doing that joke. right oh boy uh yeah so um oh boy uh let's uh let's turn things around here for todd if you're over at longboxheroes.com be sure to check out all the other stuff that we've been up to whether it be past episodes of this show past episodes of longbox heroes after dark or the current ongoing series, Todd and Joe Have Issues, where we are doing a full reread of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. And it's not just the 75 issues. It's the miniseries. It's the one-shots. It's the single-issue mini-stories and Vertigo's Edge. It's the free pamphlets. It's everything. Todd compiled an extensive list that we will be discussing and reading through throughout the course of this year. It averages out to be about two issues a week. Uh, there are some weeks where there might be more or there might be less. By all means, reach out to me so you can maybe stay ahead of the reading order. Or uh, I say just read the whole thing from beginning to end and just, uh, you know, listen to us as you're, uh, you know, to reminisce. It's like, oh, I remember reading that uh, issue three weeks ago, you know? Yeah. Uh, so the issues that we have for this week are issues 25 and 26, smack dab in the middle of Season of Mists. And uh, I will turn things over to you, Todd, here, and I will chime in when need be. Right. Um, so it is written, obviously, by Neil Gaiman, art by Matt Wagner, which is interesting in this run because, uh, one, again, like Mandela Effect, I was in my mind that Kelly Jones did all of this, but with Dridgenberg. 
and uh, Matt Wagner helping out. That kind of is interesting. So it, it's a nice look, but, uh, you know, Malcolm Jones the third is inking him, so it kind of has that same Sandmandy look that we've been having. And this takes place in December 1990, obviously during the time of Season of Mist when the uh, people from hell are coming back to Earth. And we have uh, Roland. We get the names later, but it's uh, Roland talking with someone named Payne. Um, and he's like, he, it's bad. He thinks he's kind of like, you know, dying. And he's having these dreams. Um, and they're terrible. Uh, and they're like, well, what day is it? It's Sunday. He's like, I hear the choir. He's like, well, what do they have to sing about? Like, it's nothing, you know. And it's been six days. That's it. It feels like a lifetime. And we cut back to six days ago, who uh, young Roland is, uh, you know, at this school that he's at, and it's Christmas time, and everybody's gone home, so it's just him, the uh, matron, if you will, and the headmaster, the current headmaster, and we find out his backstory that his father's in Kuwait and his mother apparently has passed away. Um, so he has nowhere to go and, you know, they're like, they're telling him like, you know, keep yourself busy, you know, don't, uh, don't be, you know, a, a pain. And he's like, yeah, I will be. And as we go, we're seeing like bits of like foreshadowing through the book. We're seeing a painting of the, you know, the, uh, the, the headmaster in the 1900s, early 1900s. And he's like wandering around and he's talking about in his head, the letter that he always sends to his father. But uh, in the end, the letter always ends the same. It's like, please, daddy, take me home. And we start to see the ghosts like start to reappear. And, you know, he's noticing them. Um, so he's like, uh, the matron is like, oh, you're up late, but you still need your sleep. And he goes and he's like, even when you're in a big school, you're not alone. And now the, the bunks in his room that were normally empty are starting to fill up with, uh, you know, the dead that are coming back. Um, so, and each will go back to each of the six days as Roland and Payne are there. And he ends up asking, uh, Payne, he's like, you know, what was it like after you died? And this is kind of like where we get that he was a ghost and we get his backstory that some people sacrificed him to a devil and his bones are in a chest in this attic that, uh, Roland's hiding in. Um, which is why he returned there. Right. But he, he, he was like, I was in, in, in hell. And it was like, he's explaining what it was. It's like his, what was kind of his hell, like corridors and it was all lonely and terrible. Um, and, uh, Roland's like, yeah, I'm not afraid of dying, you know? And the kid's like, you should be just in case, like, you know, you go. So I want to just mention, uh, two spots, uh, here, one from a little bit earlier on. Um, okay. No, it's okay. So it's about the art, right? Um, so this is very different Matt Wagner art, you know? Um, and I, def- I definitely think a lot of it is how it's colored. It's a much lighter palette than you would see from a normal Matt Wagner stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one page uh, earlier where uh, the, the lead boy is talking. It's at the big long table, and he's talking to the headmistress and the head mister, right, Roland. Right. And there's that one scene where you have the, just a the close-up of the matron's face with the smoke going over her face. Mm-hmm. And she has that sinister look. It's so evil. It's such an evil frame, right? Right. Um, and then this part that you were just mentioning here, where Payne is talking to Roland, um, about what hell was like, and you, it's a nine-panel grid. Uh, well, it's actually 
six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, but it's you know three, three, one, and then two is one, two is one. Right. That makes sense. Right. And then we have the bits at the top and the bits at the bottom where these are the bits where pain is dead, the bit in the middle where pain is in hell, and he looks like a regular boy. Panels at the top, panels at the bottom where he has those soulless eyes. And there's that last panel there where uh, Roland says that he's not afraid of dying. um, And he says that you should be. And he's just like a completely pitch black face. It's just black and white with the blue background, the two white dots for eyes. Such a creepy panel. Right. A tuft of yellow hair. And it reminds me, remember that movie where all the kids had like the, the, the evil stare, like a black and white movie? That's, I, you know, that's Children of the Dam. Yes. Cutting a wide swath with that. But that's kind of what it reminds me of. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Um, so, you know, now we're on day f- uh, five days ago, which would be Tuesday. And, uh, you know, Roland's looking around. He's hungry uh, because things are just off. And, you know, he has his last uh, uh bit of uh travel biscuits and he's looking around for stuff and he ends up finding the matron um and he knocks on the door and we find out that uh or the headmistress i'm sorry or the, the headmaster and he's like uh there and he goes in and we find out that his dead mother's there um and she's explaining her history is like that she died um in 1942 and she goes like some of the stuff that her husband made her do because he had some hunnish practices (laughs) and i'm like oh my god and she's like you know talking about hell and then she's like talking to the headmaster like you know what are you doing you're smoking that's revolting and then she does like uh you know you're not you're you're nothing but a, you're not a headmaster anymore. You're my mother's little boy. And she kind of kisses him. And I understand like a kiss between a mother and a son is supposed to be like, touching. In no way do I feel this is touching. This is super creepy by the art and the story, which is absolutely fantastic. And the look on Roland's face as he's leaving the room, like you said on the one on pain talking about hell, this one is like just shell shock. You know what I mean, Joe? Yes. So now he runs into the matron and this is a bit, this is like even creepier to me. She's like, Oh, come in. I want you to meet my children. And the one was like, Oh, this one's Veronica. She died like with a cot death, which I guess, you know, would be the, uh, I don't even know what they would call that today, but she's like, Oh, and the other one is her, her baby brother. And I think it's her brother. Cause it's, you know, was never actually born. I had the German measles and, you know, lost them. And he's like, come say hi, you know? And Roland wants none of it. Like, he takes off and uh, just just running away. And you can see more and more, like, the ghost showing up. We get, like, you know, more of pain and Roland talking. And uh, so we cut to four days ago on Wednesday. And that's when the bad boys show up. They are the old boys, which is Cheeseman, Barrow, and Skinner, if you're keeping track. Um, and they end up, like, you know, harassing them and stuff like they did in the past. And we find out now that the headmaster's, you know, going to make them. He calls them all into a room. All the ghosts. He's a ghost. And he ends up giving the speech about we're here to learn. Kind of a, the stern, you know, British headmaster speech, which is fantastic. Um, and you're, you're all going to, you know straighten up fly right kind of a deal and 
basically Roland's having a bad time of it because he's like, we're not eating. There's no food. So I'm starving. They want me to go wash. It's the middle of winter. I'm down in a frozen lake. So I have hyperthermia. Um, he goes like looking for food after all this because he probably has like pneumonia now. Um, and he runs into the, the, the old boys again. And he ends up like, they're telling him like, yeah, we're the ones who basically killed pain to, you know, sacrifice to a devil. And we thought we were going to be cool. We get to hell. And in a, in a bit, like the, the brilliance of Neil game is like, you're supposed to hate these kids. You know, you're supposed to absolutely hate them. Um, but the moment where they're like, we sa- sacrificed a boy, the three of us to the devil, we did stuff. We, uh, the old, from the old books, things you wouldn't believe, but when we went to hell. They didn't care. They hadn't known. They even laughed at us. And I'm like, I'm not saying I feel bad for them, but you know what I mean? Like there's that tinge of like, I did all this and I go be damned. And it's like, it was nothing to them. And I'm like, well, that's kind of, like their own hell kind of a deal. And they torture him, they burn him, they cut him. Um, and they're like, oh, he's no fun. Like the old, the old kids that we used to torture and they go down memory lane. Um, and that's when pain helps him up to the attic. Um, and we're to present day on the Sunday. And there's that bit like the, once again, a nine panel grid where he's talking with pain. He's like, they've stopped singing. He's like, that's good. I thought maybe it was me. And then there's just the, the panel of him not talking more, which obviously, you know, he's dead and pain, you know, does the two finger close his eyes kind of a deal. And then death shows up for Roland. And I love the fact that, uh, <laughs> because we're reading this and we know that the, the bodies are coming back and many people are dying because of ghosts and things are all out of control. That death is the busiest she's ever been. So she's wearing like, late 80s early 90s like workout gear and everything that i've seen death in this is like by far the funniest but actually fits um and she's trying to get uh uh roland to go and he's like no i'm not gonna go without pain he's like it's not his time i'm here for you and she's like all right fine stay i will come back for you guys later i don't need this in my life i'm super busy she runs off and Roland convinces Payne, he's like, you know, you don't have to stay here because your bones are here. Like, we can go out into the world. And as they're going out into the world, they're seeing, like, you know, the headmaster with his mother in another super creepy, like, scene. And then we see that because the kids that were the bullies have nobody uh, to pick on, really, they start turning on themselves as all bad people do. And Roland and Payne, like, basically discuss like what they think hell is and i kind of like that um and in the end it's basically like we're gonna go out we're gonna see the world and he's like well what about your father he's like ah my father never really wanted me i think he'll actually be uh glad i'm dead and my mother she won't mind she's already dead so she won't be uh uh prejudice now let's go out and see what we learned at school and see what life has to offer us and they kind of you know go off um and see the world and we would not see them again until 1993/94 when they were in the children's crusade vertigo crossover which was a terrible idea and Rick. that's where they dubbed the dead boy detectives i had mandela effect again i thought they were dubbed the dead boy detectives in this issue mhm but they were. Uh, I, I, go ahead i never read the children's crusade stuff um it was one of those things where I had n- I had just started reading Sandman, 
mm-hmm. and I wasn't reading every Vertigo thing, and I remember them really pushing that they tied into Sandman, but I think even then I was too new to Sandman to be like, all right, well, I'm going to get a big crossover with all these other titles that I'm completely unfamiliar with. Right. Um. So there's there's a lot of really good lines here, and a lot of very on the nose stuff. Um. You know, as you had mentioned before, as Payne and Roland are leaving the uh, leaving the um the attic of the school, and you know they they say it's like oh, I guess it's part of growing up, you always have to leave something behind you as they're leaving, and then you just see roland's you know body just laying there you know very on the nose as it were right right and kind of the chest too with Payne's body in it kind of a deal right right and you know we, we mentioned last week that this is more or less like the stealth pilot for these two characters that we do get to see a little bit later on in some other stuff and they're still in series as is as, as today um but the thing that i found the funniest about this being that this is just like a side tale of like hey you know the events of season of the mist with all the people being let out of hell they all have to go somewhere and this just happens to be one of the places where a lot of people are going we do have our one obligatory page that morpheus appears on yep which <laughs> i like i can only imagine that that was editorially mandated it probably wasn't um, because we've had multiple issues with no Sandman in it at all. Mm-hmm. Like, cause we had the one with death, which was facade. He was nowhere to be found in that issue. So I think even at this point, they're like, he wanted to do that because he was establishing that, uh, Roland was dreaming of certain things at the time. So Sandman was there. I don't know. Maybe you're right. But, uh, I will say this. I like the creepiness of like the stuff going on with the dead coming back, but I never liked the dead boy detectives. Literally my least favorite thing about Sandman is these two characters. Okay. Yeah. Like never liked them. I always felt that they were a true, like this was a rough draft of what Timothy Hunter would become. Like, Oh, I'm trying to do like a young uh, British student, uh, thing and I'm going to kick it off and he ends up doing these and he doesn't like them because he never does them again until they do the crossover in uh, in uh, Children's Crusade and then he never writes them again they're not in Sandman, spoiler alert for the next 70, you know, to issue 75 or any of that other stuff Neil never touches them so I always feel that he's a they're Timothy Hunter, um, which would be the dead boy detectives done right um, and to bring that around on Timothy Hunter really quick, one of the things that I was going to make us read that I didn't was the four issue Neil Gaiman miniseries that introduces Timothy Hunter because there's one page with Sandman in it. And in another book, there's one page with death in it, but I thought better <laughs> not making us read it. But I will say, I do feel like dry run for, uh, books of magic. Right. And you mentioned books of magic and Timothy, Timothy Hunter and all that sort of stuff. You know, and there's been allusions made to the look of Timothy Hunter and a lot of the themes in there um, were liberally lifted for for Harry Potter. Um, and I just think it's a lot of English school housery is mm-hmm. that sort of guys because there's so much of the imagery in this, like the big giant rooms with the paintings on the wall of the, right. the previous people is so much of that iconic gr- iconography and imagery in the Harry Potter movies but like now that it's like in Books of Magic, it's in this and I've seen it in so many other places 
you know, it can't be that they're all stealing from this. It's right. just that's the touchstone right. no, that I you guess. go to when you're like, I'm writing an English stodgy school that's very old. It has to have all of these things. Right. Well, that's the thing. When Neil was writing this story, he wanted to do this one story in the middle of Seasons of Mists that uh, – that like showed you what the world looked like while everything was going on. So there's no Sandman. There's, you know, this is to give you an idea, but he's like, he said, he's like, so I wanted to do a school, but he's like, I'm fresh to America. So I'm not going to have the American vibe down of what a school is like. He goes, so I just went and did my childhood of going to British school. And he goes, a lot of people felt like, obviously, the dead aren't returning. But you know what I mean? Like you said, he even describes, he's like, one of the most accurate things he's ever described was the smell of the school. Like where he's talking about it smells like, you know, chalk dust and socks and flatulence and boiled cabbage. And he's like, you ask any English, like, that's what a school smelled like. You know what I mean? And I'm like, okay, I get it. Uh, but I don't, I don't understand it because it's not my childhood. But like I said, my least favorite, this might be my least favorite issue of the whole run, Joe. Really? Yes. That covers a lot of ground. It does, but that's my take on it. I, I never, never liked it. But uh, <laughs> anyway, shall we do 26 now? Yes, because on to 26. We're back into the main story. And, uh, you know, Morpheus has a lot, a lot of folks uh, to talk to. Right. Um, now we're in the second third of the 75 issue run. 26 officially starts that once again, now we're back to Kelly Jones on art. Um, and more people are showing up as of last issue to the dreaming. You know, they're there for the, the key. They want the realm. Um, and now fairy has sent some, you know, uh, envoys and they're, uh, Clerican and his sister, uh, Nuala. That's the way I'm guessing that there's, that they're said. Um, so he's like, I'm here. Um, you know, do you want food kind of a deal? And, uh, he's like, oh, we'll, we'll talk. And as they're coming in, like we get to see all the other gods and now that they're at the table. Um, and we get like the Norse gods mingling with the Egyptian gods. And it's kind of, kind of creepy because I will say Thor may be a bit of a harasser, Joe, maybe, maybe problematic. You know what I mean? And what I mean is in the story, not like, oh, because he's, these Norse characters are based on the actual versions of the Norse characters. And Neil Gaiman has said he's gotten letters from like that area of the world. Like never have we seen uh, the Norse gods portrayed so like accurately. Cause everybody thinks of them as the Marvel comic versions, right? <laughs> but like the versions that they are here are kind of, kind of interesting. We get to see uh, two random people, a man and a woman, you know, dressed in their bed clothes, who are dreamers? I like that, you know, like uh, serving them kind of a kind of a deal. And Clarican basically says, "Listen, I got to talk to you because the like, you know, Queen Titiana and like the king. He's like, they told me I have to tell you. He's like, uh, we kind of want hell to remain empty because we have to give a tithe to hell." every seven years and we're uh we're forced to sacrifice one of our most beautiful um so we beg you to leave it empty and because of that uh we're going to give you a gift in good faith and that is my kind of my sister and he's like okay you know i have much to dwell on he's like enjoy the banquet and in one of the mistakes of mistakes clerkan ends up grabbing sandman by the arm and he's like wait and he's like 
And I like this because this sets up like Sandman, just like just offhandedly don't mess with me kind of a deal. He's like, you have delivered your message and you heard my response. Your obligation is fulfilled. The matter is ended. Your impertinence invites my severest displeasures. So nice of a way. I will end you right here. You know what I mean? Um, absolutely uh, fantastic. So he's like, you know, go to the, the thing. Now, another thing that I want to mention while we're talking about fairy. Do you remember the Stardust miniseries that Neil Gaiman did with Charles Vess? I do. All right, that was also going to be something we were going to read um, because I met Neil Gaiman. I saw him at a reading in North Carolina at Heroes Con in Charlotte. And somebody asked, they were like, oh, is Stardust, because it's written by you and drawn by Charles Vess, is it the characters from Fairy from issue um, uh, The Midsummer Night's Dream? And he's like, listen, legally I can't tell you that those characters are the <laughs> same characters from Sandman. But they're the same characters from Sandman. And then it would go on to be a movie and stuff like that. So, But he was like, yeah, I just kind of did the characters. Like, it was going to be a Sandman story. And then, no, it's uh thing. So I took that out along with the Books of Magic. But that always uh, kind of uh, stuck with me. Um, so now the, uh, the Norse gods are kind of talking and they're taking a lay of the land and we, we get to see who's there. Um, and we get to see like a, somebody from the Japanese envoy is Susana Ono Mikoto. I think I nailed that Anubis, um, the fairy people from hell is the demons, which is Merkin and Chorzor, Chor. Anzan, I guess. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce that one, but it's the same demon we'll learn a little bit later on that um, is the one that Dream battled in hell to get his helm back. Right. Um, and I just like Loki's getting the lay of the land. We end up seeing the two, uh, the two uh, angels from the Silver City. Um, and uh, basically now they're all like, oh, I would like to talk with you. Uh, kind of a thing. And he's like, he says the same thing that he says to the fairy folk. He's like, listen, after the meeting, he's like, you can all talk to me one by one. And I like, as we're going, we're getting more and more of the two people serving. It's like, who are you? I know I've seen you. What's your name? It's like, she's like, please, I just have to serve this food. So that's kind of creepy. We end up uh, getting a bit between the two demons that they're like, oh, we also have something. It's like, other than what we have, we have extra inducement for a thing and he's like well what is it? he's like later she's like i'll uh, i'll tell you later um thor's still harassed and bast which is great um uh kane and abel are putting on a magic show that just gets creepier and creepier the version of song someone in half um which i'm gonna get to the end of it where he makes sausage out of abel which is funny and like i said everybody takes everybody shoots their shot with sandman and he's like i'll have none of it he's like you know, when we go to our room, you know, when I get my moment. Um, so now the two demons are like, uh, she's like, now tell me what the thing is that, you know, we're going to offer up. And he's like, she's like, she ends up webbing it because uh, she's like the demon of spiders kind of deal. He's like, you, I'm offering up you. He's going to, he's going to love that. Um, and they're like, okay. So he's like, now, good night, everybody. The banquet's over. Morpheus says, I'll see you all tomorrow morn. Um, and in the end, the two people, who uh, are serving, you know, wake up. He's like, please don't go. And she's like, I, 
I, I can't help it. I'm sorry. I think it's the doorbell. And I, that's so like dreamlike when Neil Gaiman does his his bits of dream. Uh, I love that. I love when Loki ends up to, you know, talking to him. He's like, what uh, Odin's like, what deception should we use? He's like, told you, we can't trick him here. You know, not in his own realm. He's like, the best we could do is negotiate. Um, we ha- we must have something that he wants. You know what I mean? Um, well, we have something he w- he must want. He'll negotiate. Um, so Thor is drunk out of his mind as this goes on. Um, so the first of the next morning is Odin. He comes to see him. He's like, what do you want to, you know, what do you offer? He's like, well, he's like, all my life I'm worried about Ragnarok. I'm, I'm like, I, it's our end. I want to find a way around it. He goes, so basically I created this world of like this uh, AI Ragnarok magically and I was studying it every day. Every day it would reboot. And I would like try to see if there was a way to beat the the end that's coming. Then one day I end up looking in it and some people have shown up. And he's like, it's it's kind of weird. And they're fighting the war against the person I'm going to. And it's somebody that should interest you. It's One of them has an essence of your soul. And it's Wesley Dodd Sandman. He's in there. And he's like, you know, you give me hell. And you can have it. Um, at this point, that's from Crisis on Infinite Earths. They wanted to get rid of the JSA because they were doing the whole thing of taking two Earths and combining them into one where the JSA was going to be in World War II. So like, oh, we can't have them around. So they ended up sending them off to this Ragnarok where they had to fight and die every day. Um, so he's actually using what's called the last days of the Justice Society, um, a one shot. And he's like, oh, I'm going to use that and then that would be uh fixed by a thing called uh armageddon remember armageddon 2001 there was a mini series after it that had nothing to do with it called inferno where they let the jsa out so i'm like once again he's tying himself into dc stuff that he doesn't have to worry about because it's already way in the past so that's a, a good idea and, Santa's like, and, and again uh, you say way in the past as of this issue coming out we're about three years way in the past but um, still <laughs> no about yeah i'm gonna say four or five but yeah you're right you're right and he says like no he's like uh uh he's like okay he's like uh i i don't really need that bit but okay we'll see maybe maybe um i like when uh, the lords of chaos and the, the little girl with her balloon she her i love her whole play i'm just gonna threaten morpheus he's like is that all you got she's like yeah but you can have my balloon so she gives him a balloon. And the shot of her skipping away while Morpheus is holding this red balloon in just black and white. I'm going to say they should get credit for all the black and white and red comics that are in, you know, modern day comics. Yes. But that's fantastic. So now the Lords of Order. I think Lords of Order might be your favorite envoy, the empty cardboard box, Joe. Yes. Right. So he shows up and he's like, uh, here's my message from my master. And he says, For many years now, myself and some of my fellow Lords of Order have been collecting the dream essences of the newly dead for purposes of their own. We are prepared to return these to you in exchange for the hell of Lucifer, which uh, will become a new realm, perfect order under our dominion. Um, And he's like, I don't need any of that stuff. It's just dream stuff. If I had wanted it, I would have collected it myself. Um, So I really don't know why you're, uh, you know, bothering me with this and then the 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 cardboard box says well there's something else um bribery won't work reason might the dream essences that the lords of order were stealing joe do you remember the gray man from justice league international yes 
he, that was a very early in the run. Like it was like uh pr- like the low numbers. Like right, it was basically trickled in through two to like four and five, and ends in the first like five three pages of six. But that the gray man, what he was doing was he was. He was thought he was being punished. He he found the Lords of Order, like because he was just a like a lowly human, and they made him the Gray Man. And he was collecting the dream essences of him. And we get his whole origin story of what he was collecting the dream essences for in issue five, which is the legendary one punch issue of Justice League International. So Sandman and the villain of the one punch issue, Joe, are like intertwined in Sandman twenty six. I marked out when I figured this out so many years ago. I, I absolutely love it. So um, finally, or not finally, but then comes the Japanese envoy. And he's basically saying, I'm not here for my pantheon. I'm here for myself. Because in lately, we, we're not being as worshipped as much. So we've decided to branch out and kind of absorb other people's mythologies. Like now we have Marilyn Monroe and all this other stuff, which I think was a nod to everybody worried that Japanese were buying up everything in the late 80s, early 90s, and we're going to own the whole world. Um, and I just like that he's like, oh, you know, we just want it. We'll pay whatever. Um, he's like, oh, big consideration. I thought that was cool. Um, so now we get Bass, the Egyptian uh, cat god, and she's like, I got something for you. I know where your uh, the, the prodigal brother can be found. And she's like, don't you think it would be good to like bring the whole family back together? And he's like, that's interesting. You know, like that. You know, I'll, I'll put it down. He's like, head back to your room. You know, uh, but don't wander from the path. And I like that. She's like, I don't like when you wear your human head. Uh, I can't tell what you're thinking. I prefer you in cat form, which is a nod to, you know, some other issues that we've read. And I like the fact that if you notice, Kelly Jones kind of changes the look of Sandman a little bit each time he meets someone. Like, if you look, he kind of makes him look a little bit Asian for when he meets the Japanese god. And he starts tearing, like, feline features for the cat. And it's something I, I didn't notice the first time, but I did notice it now. So, uh... You know, Matthew comes to him and he's like, uh, Lucian sent me up. He's like, as you're, 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 you know, pondering all this. Um, but there's a thunderstorm has broken out one of the suites downstairs. He's like, oh, that'll be Thor. And I like in a moment, like in another comic, we would have got the Sandman go down and challenge Thor and, you know, put him in his place. He's like, one moment. And he's like, mm, it's done. It's dealt with. And he's like, now leave me. Uh, there's one uh, last of my, you know, ambassadors here, and I like this, who's on its way to talk to me and to cajole, threaten, or bribe. He's like, oh, okay, nice balloon. Murphy's like, you like it? Here you go. Um, so he basically, you know, now he's waiting for Azel, and Azel shows up, and he's like, oh. Uh, you know, he's like, what are you going to do? Like, you're just going to make me think that I should use my good nature or justice or whatever. It's like, what are you offering? He's like, well, you can basically have the insolent Chiranazan. He's like, you know, I know what he did in your helm. He's like, you can have him. You can just have him scream forever. I take vengeance, destroy him, whatever you want. Um, and I see, and what's your second thing? And he's like, the second thing's a little more precious to you. He's like, I have this, the, the soul of nada. He's like, if you want her, he's like, if you don't, he's like, I'm just going to consume her and I'm going to make her a spark of my essence. And she'll be part of me till the end of time. Um, do you understand me? And he's like, he's like, 
uh, so tomorrow, you know, you'll be carrying with me to the key to hell. He's like, thank you. He's like, I'll take this under consideration. You may leave now. And he's like, what do you mean under consideration? He's like, you've told me what you're offering and I have understood, you know, go away for my decision. And he's like, go, go. and he kind of leaves. And then do you want to just handle, cause this is your favorite, one of your favorite things, the end of him reminiscing and holding the key is, you know, he goes over all the offers in his mind. All right. So, uh, up to this point in this issue, uh, it is a compelling issue as a reader. However, it is presented in a way that this is now monotonous and tedious for Morpheus. Mm-hmm. Person upon person to an end has come to him, all wanting the same thing, all offering him something that he technically does not want or doesn't know that he wants, or is kind of insulted that they would think that he would want such a thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And it gets to this point where he's seen the final person, he's heard the last retort, and now he has to make his decision, and we come to the final page um, as Morpheus kind of relays in his own way some of what the offers had been. Um, you know, the things that fairy can offer you. There are some of your essence in this person, a fraction of your soul. Um, you know, I, I will plead the righteousness of our claim. Name your price, whatever it is. And as Morpheus is about to sit down, he drops the key to hell. And it gets away from him for just a moment. He still walks over, picks it up, and says, if only it were that easy, if I could just throw it away. Right. And then he looks away you know, in the dark behind him. And I'm just like, that is so powerful. Right. That moment, that scene, that last page of him just saying, if only it was just as easy as throwing this all away. Right. And it's because, and I, and I know I hammer this point home. It's because he's a man of responsibility and now he was given this response and he can't walk away from it. He can't just walk away from it. Like, I think if it was given to anybody else, like if it was given to death, she's like, I don't need this. Like, it'll become what it is. But Sandman's like, I have to make the decision. You know what I mean? Um, And, you know, and like the decision that ends up getting made is kind of cool. Um, I won't get into. But, yeah, that's the way I look at it is he's a man of responsibilities. And Lucifer knew that when he, you know, betrothed him the key. So Sandman's really good, Joe. Yeah, it's a really good comic. Um, So next week we have, what, the end of Season of Mists with, uh, this will be issues 27 and 28, and then this is our third collection that we've uh, come to an end on, right? Yes, we have. This will be, you know, three big storylines. Oh, would it be four storylines? Four collections. Right, four collections. Three major storylines and a yes. bunch of one-shots. Yes, yes. It uh, but it's all been great. I've been loving this. Uh, this is one of my favorite comic books. And it's one of these times where, you know, we're getting prepared in the far and few between times that April asks what we have to do on the podcast. And I get to tell her that we just read or are reading or getting to talk about this. This story is just amazing. It's great stuff, you know? Yep. Yeah, I bet she's so jealous that she doesn't have a podcast reading Sandman right now. 
Um, I think if I could convince her to get it digitally on her phone, she would absolutely do it. She does read quite a bit, but she's a mostly like a digital book on her phone person, you know? Right. I could see her, like, if you use the ringtone maker to just, you know, take out the Sandman bits, you know? <laughs> yeah. And give them to her. But that's too technological, so. Right. Uh, so, hey, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, you can help us out in a bunch of different ways. Uh, you could go to our store and buy uh, shirts and pins and stickers directly from us. I would say they're reasonably priced. Those prices haven't changed in quite some time. And those shirts and pins and stickers are still waiting here for you to go to your home. Uh, you can go sign up for our Patreon, patreon.com slash longboxheroes. Uh, dollar a month, $5 a month is going to get you a ton of stuff. It's going to get you two bonus podcasts. From Todd and myself, one is our movie show where we're looking at a bunch of comic book oddities this year. We just recently watched the 1978 CBS made-for-TV movie for <laughs> uh, uh, Doctor Strange. And then uh, what do we have coming up next month? I have an, Oh, we're, uh, Return to Swamp Thing is next month. That's right. Uh, we also have Previewing the Past, our ongoing series there, where we look at 30 years ago this month's previews catalog. Again, we're talking about 1993 comic books. Image is bulking up. We're about to hit. We're at the beginnings of the reign of Superman. They haven't even revealed what the four Supermen have looked like yet. Right. And we're about, we're, we've just officially kicked off in name Nightfall. So right. we're about three months away from the worst Batman of them all. Right. And Joe, all of this and parody comics. More parody comics than you can shake a stick at. I don't like bringing up the parody comics on this show because they bring up such a vile hatred inside my soul. I'm afraid that I'm going to swear on this podcast. Then you'd have to edit this podcast. And I've already got a bunch of editing to do. So okay. uh, we also have the full scans of those previews up there. If you just want to look back to see the last three and a half years of what the previews catalogs looked like back then. To reminisce like Todd and I do every month uh, on the audio version of this, you could do so with those high-quality, expertly done scans of those previews catalogs, except for like the last 30 or so pages. Those are kind of shoddy. Um, but at the $5 level, you get those podcasts two weeks before everyone else. And you get After Dark two days before everyone else uh, so that you can read or uh, listen to these shows in the correct listening order. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, um, you can help us out by making any and all of your purchases on eBay through our eBay affiliate link. Um, and you can find those affiliate links in any one of the show posts of these episodes. Uh, when you click on links to various merchants on this site and make a purchase, this can result in the site earning a commission. Affiliate programs and affiliations include, but are not limited to, the eBay Partner Network. Perfection, Joe. And uh, we did not have any art attacks this week, is that correct? We did not have any art attacks this week, Joe. All right. So last but not least, uh, it's time for Name That Tune TV <laughs> talk of The Mandalorian this past week. Right. I can review that show in two sentences, Joe. All right. Well, I'm going to let you do that, Todd. All right. Um, the Mandalorians save the unluckiest Mandalorian boy ever. He has a and name. It's we, Ragnar. 
Right, but he was the one who was attacked by the lizard after the sea lizard after he was put his helmet on, and now he gets stolen by a pterodactyl. And then the second part of his Grogu is saved by Jedi Jedi Binks. So there's your whole episode, Joe. <laughs> uh, the only extra uh, things that I had on here were um, Baby Yoda does flips. Right. And one doesn't speak unless no unless one knows. Then you would never speak, Joe. That's true. And I'd uh, speak all the time, but yeah, it was a short episode, Joe. Uh, it's a very lean episode, uh, content-wise, in the Mandalorian. You know, a slender uh, read of a Mandalorian episode. Yes. Uh, other than the me writing down Mandalorian episode four and what the title of the episode was, the Foundling, mm-hmm. I literally have four lines of notes, and I just right. read them to you. Right. Um, I do I, like that they bring birds back, and birds could be foundlings. Yes. Um, and I just saw before we recorded that they were teasing that episode. They're like, don't worry, everyone. Episode six of Mandalorian is 44 minutes long and it's directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. Oh, good. Because this one, did you know who this one was directed by? It was uh, directed by Carl Weathers. Right. He was too busy getting a good stew going. So he couldn't put on an extra 15 minutes. Oh, my goodness. And we joked about it before we started recording. I usually wait until right, almost right before we record so everything's kind of fresh in my head. Um, just because my mind's like an Etch-A-Sketch. I move and everything just goes away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I saw my brother this past weekend. He's like, oh, did you watch the new episode yet? And I said, no, I hadn't. And he goes, oh, I didn't think I'd have time to. And I pulled it up on the Disney Plus and it said it was 33 minutes long. And I go, 33? It said it was 33 minutes long? And he goes, yeah. And I to myself like, with the recap, the credits, the Star Wars cold open, and the end credits, I think we're going to get about 23 minutes of actual show footage. And I think it was just a hair over 22. Right. But it was all compact. And I do like the fact that when the pterodactyl had the unlucky kid, or as I call him, bait, um, he was like, they're like, oh, we can't, we can't use our jetpacks. We can't use our blasters. We and they said it multiple times because we've had many kids eaten because we've tried all those things. So it's like, ah, oh, okay. And I was like, so stupid. But at least uh Bo Katan um ended up being able to figure out how to eat, you know, so with the helmet on. Uh, that's the most important thing about a Mandalorian is how to eat, how to figure out how to eat and drink with keep while keeping your helmet on. Right, you gotta go find a quiet spot. It's what I do when I feed Joe. <laughs> for sure. Yep. All right. Uh, I think that's it for the show, right? I think that's everything. All right. So, hey everyone, thank you very much for listening to uh, episode six fifty one of Longbox Heroes. Uh, be sure to go support Jason Sandberg's Jupiter when the Indiegogo rolls out later this week. And uh, for Todd, this is Joe saying we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain.
You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks. The Rob is a long box hero. The Rob is a long box hero. He gives us five five stars. 